They're in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and each received a denarius. So when those who came were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a dance? Take your pay and go. I want to give those who hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Okay, uh, Matthew 20. I'll start by reading this. One place it happens to me is in a shopping centre. When another woman around the same age as me passes by, I give them a quick up and down scan. It's just a two second appraisal, and as I look at them, I see they're doing the same thing with me. A quick sideways glance. That's an excerpt from this book, a book called Compared to Her by Sophie DeWitt. Uh, The book is about what she calls CCS, Compulsive Comparison Syndrome. And it's about how that affects all of us in the way that we measure ourselves uh, against each other. How we envy and strive to try and put ourselves uh, slightly above other people, or at least measure ourselves against them. In an interview about the book, uh, Sophie Wood said this. She said, Measuring ourselves against others based on our criteria of choice in order to determine our position in life seems to offer us hope. Maybe, just maybe, she says, I'm not as much of a failure, as ugly, as sinful as I think I am. But the result of these comparisons tends to be either a temporary and very vulnerable sense of satisfaction or a gnawing sense of dissatisfaction. So there is great deception involved. The higher position we crave won't deliver the security, satisfaction and significance we think it will. Uh, Her book drills into uh, how we do that comparison and yet it doesn't produce what we want. I don't know if you're familiar with that. You might have done it as you walked in tonight. Just a quick 
check of yourself against someone else. Uh, it comes really naturally to us. But tonight, Jesus is going to teach us uh, something different. Something about the back-to-front nature of his kingdom. And why to do comparison like that, to, to measure ourselves against others, is totally not on for God's people. And Jesus does it with a story. Uh, so the first thing we're going to do tonight is make sense of this parable. It's a pretty ordinary scene. Uh, if you didn't own a lot of land yourself to work, uh, then what you would do is you would go down to the marketplace and wait there to be hired. Uh, there was no seek.com. Uh, you, if you wanted a job, you'd just go out, see if anyone was hiring for that day. And landowners would come in, they would pick the workers that they uh, needed for that day, and that was it. If you're a worker, no guaranteed wages, uh, no penalty rates, no sick leave, Ancient world just desperately needed a union, uh, anything. But if you were working, that's all you had. And that's what happens here. They, uh, an owner comes, they agree on a denarius, standard pay for a day's work. And then a few hours later, uh, what do we see? Well, the owner is back, finds himself back in the marketplace, and he sees other workers standing there. Again, not surprising, the surplus workers. Uh, Here's where the story gets weird. He hires more. Uh, he sees them and he says, okay, you too, you guys. And the owner says, verse four, uh, I'll pay you whatever is right. Now these workers, uh, they've probably been there for about six or earlier, uh, so if you pick up at nine, they're happy with whatever. Uh, they've missed the bulk of the day's jobs. Uh, they're happy to take what they can get. Now, it's not Possibly, he's hired some workers, he's gone back to the farm, he's realised, wait, I didn't realise how much we need to do today, we need more. And so he goes and gets another lot. But then it happens again, and again, and again, and hiring twice just feels careless, but hiring four times, something strange is happening here. And when Jesus tells a parable and it starts getting strange, uh, that's when you know you're getting to the heart of it. And it goes on uh, to the point uh, where it's 5 pm. It's the end of the day, one hour left. In the first century, uh, their time exploded the sun, and so this is literally the 11th hour. And now the owner is just a fool. What is he doing getting more workers at this point? He doesn't need to hire these guys. Have a look at verse 6. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my opinion. Now, you could get the feeling that these guys are just being lazy, that standing around doing nothing all day. But the reason is, no one has hired them, it's not their fault, there's, there's not enough work. For some reason, this owner wants them. He wants them, even though it's pointless, right? There's one hour left. He already has heaps of work because he's hired four other times. His farm must be crawling with people. And it's likely that these guys are the dregs. Uh, no one has hired them all day long. I wonder why that is. Uh, it's like when you're playing sport in primary school and 
uh, you have to divide into teams, and there's two team captains, and they take you in turns to, to pick people, and you stand there just with an ache in the stomach, just desperately hoping that you won't be the last picked. That's, everyone else has that experience, right? Not just me. <laughs> you, you don't want to be the last person, you know, the person that no one wants on their team. And that's what these guys are. They're the last picked. The old, weak, least productive workers on offer. And maybe they are a little lazy. Maybe they are. They might have arrived too late to be picked up by the other owners early in the day. But who cares? This, this owner is a crazy person, right? Just come on board. You too, come work in my vineyard. And so the end of the day rolls around and it's time for paychecks. And the parable at this point hinges on who gets paid first. Verse 8, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Now that's the trick here, uh, because the first workers get to see the last workers getting paid at the beginning. So they see that the last workers get paid and their eyes light up. Verse 9. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Then paid for a full day's work. So, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. Now, can you feel annoyance rising in you. It's just, ah, oh, just to have that expectation, to, to, to see there work for one hour and get a denarius. Probably not even hard work, right? This is just busy work at the end of the day. The, the, the hard work has been done, there's heaps of people around. It's nuts. They're just thinking, like, imagine what we're going to get. We've done so much more. And then, one thousand. Verse 11 captures the feeling. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. It's hard not to sympathise with them, isn't it? Uh, How on earth is that fair? Isn't this the experience of every group assignment ever at uni? Five people uh, are in the group, two people, max, end up doing the bulk of the work, and then the last minute, two or three uh, come in, uh, put their names at the top, and they get the same mark as everyone else. And you're just like, oh, so infuriating. You just wish that you could kind of tap the lecturer on the shoulder and be like, they don't deserve that. I did everything, they did nothing. But this parable isn't about uni, it's not about group assignments. Uh, It's a parable about the kingdom of heaven. And actually, this is what God is like. Read verse 13. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. 
right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? See, this, this parable is a picture of God's grace. God is the landowner here. And the vineyard is, is a picture that the Bible uses to talk about God's kingdom. And God has decided to be generous to those latecomers, given way more than they deserve. That's what grace is, giving more than what is deserved. But somehow that's just made the first guys envious. Envious of how easy they have. And you see, they've fallen into this trap, this trap of comparison, measuring themselves against the others. But that is not how God works. Uh, God is not beholden to anyone. He's no one's debtor. He's sovereign and completely free and wildly generous. So that's the parable. But before we get too far down the track in applying it, uh, we need to make one crucial decision. The landowner is God, the vineyard is his kingdom, but who are the first workers and who are the last workers? Who are the first workers? Who are the last workers? Because how you answer that question will uh, change how you think about what it means for us. So, we're just going to work through the options. What could it uh, be? Who could it be? The, the first workers and the last workers. It could be referring to uh, the Pharisees and the sinners. That's an ongoing tension in the Gospels. Uh, in that case, it would look like this. The, the Pharisees are the self-righteous uh, ones who do plenty of work, uh, but they don't understand grace. And so, uh, when God chooses to welcome sinners into the kingdom, the, the Pharisees don't like it. They don't deserve to be here. They grumble. In that case, uh, this looks like the parable of the prodigal son, where the older son uh, grumbles against the father for welcoming the younger son back in, even though he didn't deserve it. Now, the problem with that uh, is that Jesus is pretty clear that the Pharisees and the self-righteous are actually excluded from his kingdom. But here, the first workers seem, well, they, they seem included. They're, they're in the vineyard. They receive their reward at the end of the day, just like the 11th hour guys. Everyone is a worker. So it's probably not talking about people who are in versus people who are out. So what else could it be? It could be referring to Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. That is, uh, Jewish believers were the first to turn to Christ. Uh, and, and really, the, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, belongs to them. And the Gentiles really are just jumping on board at the 11th hour. Their uh, last bit of marriage is getting on board. They haven't suffered as God's people for centuries. And so it could be that the, the Jewish Christians are in danger of taking that attitude towards Christian brothers and sisters, grumbling about these outsiders jumping in. So kind of like uh, when you like a band first and then your little sister starts listening to them as well, and it's annoying, it's like your thing, she doesn't get why they're so cool. And, uh, just annoyed at the latecomers. And if that was the case, then what that, this parable would be about, it would be about welcoming people from other cultures into the kingdom. We need to uh, not grumble when people show up after us. 
And that, uh, that way of thinking has some things going for it. Matthew's Gospel does have a lot to say about the inclusion of the Gentiles. Um, I don't know, as you read this chapter, there's no sign of Gentiles anywhere. That doesn't seem to be an issue. Uh, no, if you want to work out uh, what the Bible is saying, really anywhere, then context is key. Context is key. What is going on here in this section of Matthew's Gospel? What comes before, what comes after? The context is king. That will tell you who the first workers are and who the last workers are. So, let's do it. Bible's open, let's have a look. Uh, The first thing you notice is that this section, this parable, is surrounded by the same line twice, the fundamental principle of the Kingdom of God. 1930 and then 2016, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. So whatever this is about, it has to make sense of that line. This, this turning around, this uh, incredible reversal. And then if you look further up, look at what's come before. We've had the story of the rich young man uh, who goes away sad when he refuses to give up his treasure on earth to follow Jesus. And that story ends with the disciples asking a question in chapter 19, verse 27. Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? We've done heaps. Uh, What's our reward going to be? And that feels quite connected to this parable, doesn't it? Peter's asking a question. What do you get if if you work hard for the kingdom? And so Jesus starts to answer that question at the end of chapter 19. But then you'll notice that there is no change of scene. They don't move anywhere. There's no change of audience between chapter 19 and chapter 20. It's all actually the same conversation between Jesus and his disciples. In fact, it's all the same answer to that very question in chapter 19, verse 27. What then will there be for us? And, if you look closely, chapter 20 starts with a four. He's continuing to answer this question. For the kingdom of heaven is like this. And so Jesus is here explaining the first becoming last and the last becoming first, this back-to-front concept that he's just given them. So from this context, we see that the parable is actually about the disciples. The disciples. They're the first workers. They're the ones who've done the hard work, borne the heaviest load, carried the greatest risk, that made the highest sacrifice. <coughs> and Jesus wants to tell them that actually it's kind of reversed. The, the kingdom doesn't operate like a big business. It's, it's not about climbing the ladder. It's not about special privileges. It's not about competition for spots to be the best. No, the kingdom doesn't operate that way. And, just to complete the exercise, looking at the context, have a look at what happens next. Uh, First, directly after this section, after verse uh, 16, we see that Jesus points forward to his death. Now that's essential that we pick that up, because here the king of this kingdom gives everything. He's the one that gives the most, rather than claim a special position. 
and bossing others about. And then the next story after this, the mother of James and John asks Jesus if her sons can have a special place in the kingdom. And Jesus needs to say, no, the kingdom doesn't operate that way. And so you see, this whole section is about the disciples. They're the ones who are the grumblers here, or potentially, potentially grumbling. Jesus' point is that can't be their attitude. They can't take this attitude, but because we were first, because we've worked the hardest, we deserve something special. We deserve something more. No, the kingdom of heaven is a back-to-front kingdom. The first are last, and the last are first. And the normal expectations of who's important, who gets special privileges, all of that is flipped around. Now, that's felt like a little bit of effort digging into the context, but it's been worth it, I hope, because uh, it'll help us to see what the lesson is for us. Because if this applies uh, to the disciples, as they approach serving uh, Jesus, serving the kingdom, it's going to have something to say to us as we serve the Lord Jesus. As we go about the work of ministry, uh, sharing the gospel of Jesus, as we do all these things, this parable has something to say to us. So, what does it say? Firstly, it says that your glittering ministry performance doesn't give you a special your glittering ministry performance doesn't give you special privileges. That's a trap, right? Uh, some of you, I know, are going to slog your guts out this summer, serving the Lord. You'll be knocking on doors at, on NTA mission. You'll be hauling tents on beach mission. You'll be scrubbing toilets on training ground. Uh, you're going to do all of that, and it's going to be easy at the end of that to feel self-important. I've done all this stuff. Uh, I'm a big deal. Uh, or it'll be easy to feel annoyed. Annoyed if that doesn't get acknowledged or recognised. Or worse, what if someone else gets acknowledged for it? What if someone else gets the glory instead of me? What if you're leading a group? Uh, one of those things. Campground, beach mission. And it's a huge effort. You just... There's, there's weeks of preparation. Uh, you, you go on the camp, you get sick from, of course you do, you know, while you're there. Uh, late nights, hard work in prayer. Uh, but someone from your group becomes a Christian and, and the family is so happy and, and so thankful and, and so they send a thank you card and maybe they go over the top, they, they send a Kurong voucher. <laughs> <laughs> but it goes to your folk leader. Not you. And they turned up halfway through camp because they had a wedding to go to. Why not be infuriating? How can you not grumble? Well, if you understand this parable, then I think you won't. You'll realise that God is generous. And there's no special privileges uh, in the work of ministry. That's not what it's about. God's kingdom doesn't operate that way. It's not about chasing glory and praise from people. 
That's firstly. Your glittering ministry performance doesn't give you special privileges. Secondly, your ministry limitations don't make you less important around here. Your ministry limitations don't make you less important around here. The owner hires like a crazy man, right? Uh, and he uses the weak and the limited. And he gives them the same glory and status and reward as the best and brightest. Maybe you're here uh, at Uni Church and you feel like you don't do much for God. Or maybe you don't get asked to do much. Maybe you look at other people. It says, don't worry. That doesn't make you less important. That's not how the kingdom operates. God calls all of us, all of his people in to work in his kingdom, to serve his church, to spread the gospel of Jesus. And even a small, a small amount in your weakness and limitation, uh, God is pleased to reward that uh, abundantly. Generous. Doesn't make you less important if you feel limited and weak. That's number two. Number three, finally. We need to stop comparing ourselves to each other. We need to stop comparing ourselves to each other. Uh, that's true in general. If you struggle with that compulsive comparison syndrome, then you should really read that book. Uh, compared to her, uh, blokes, you just read it as well. Um, you can say you're reading it for a friend or such a thing. But it, that's actually really helpful to kind of to, to name that, that that thing, that sin of comparison. But we especially need to stop comparing ourselves with each other when it comes to our Christian performance, when it comes to uh, what we do and our church stuff, our, our ministry. We can't fall into that trap of measuring our worth against other people, against what they do and, and what I've done. Otherwise, we'll just end up like the workers in this parable. We'll, we'll end up thinking, I deserve more, I've done more. I've slogged it out, I've been here first. And we'll grumble against God. And we'll miss His grace. His wonderful generosity to all who serve in his name. So, what's the solution? If this is something that you think, yeah, I, I do that sometimes, how do we find a solution for that? I think the solution is this don't look across, look up. Don't look across, look up. What does the owner do at the end of the parable? See what he does? He, he draws the worker's attention uh, to his character. Are you envious because I'm generous? See, they've forgotten the generosity of God. God uh, hasn't been stingy. Actually, he gives uh, abundantly to those who serve him. But his nature is to be generous and to, uh, to look up to see the generosity of God to all, no matter uh, what they are able to bring, uh, will stop us comparing ourselves from each other. 
Instead of looking across and saying, what have they done, what have I done, who deserves more? Let's look up and say, God who gives generously to all, that will be the solution for us. Why don't we finish by praying. Let's pray for God's help. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of being counted as co-workers with you in the building of others into your kingdom. We thank you for the joy of partnership with each other in the work of the gospel. And we pray this night that you would keep us from comparison. Please prevent us from being competitive with each other over our ministries and our ministry success. And instead, Father, help us to see all the more clearly your wonderful grace in rescuing us and in using us for your purpose.